Amen. Thank you, Sean. Uh, by the way, if you see Easton Smith this evening, it may be the last time. He'll be leaving sometime at the end of the weekend. They're hoping to be here Sunday morning, but not sure. Ships out Monday. So they'll be here a little bit later. Christians in, in Israel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nazareth and Jerusalem. They're actually Baptist churches. Yes. Okay. Baruch. Yes. He's stateside now, having retired, but he lived in uh, Gaza. Okay. Uh, chapter eight. Uh, last week we saw the uh, failure of. The battle at AI, uh, Aikens having stolen the goods, affected the whole nation, affected, uh, of course, his family. Joshua made the decision for the battle, gave the orders for the assault. Uh, and so we talked just a little bit about why did they lose that battle? Um, I, Many will say because they got proud, they got complacent, they didn't pray, uh, they had a little hubris after Jericho just fell flat, it was easy to go. I was a little bit skeptical, these arguments from silence, it says it doesn't say he prayed or, or he didn't pray, it doesn't say they were overconfident, and yet as we study chapter 8, we see a pattern from chapter 6, that God is involved in the plans of the victories. We have no indication the first time they went to Ai that there was any plans. And so that could very well be the, the trend or the pattern that we see, the evidence is... Uh, God gave direct input going into Jericho. God gives direct input here in chapter 8, and there's no input or no word of God directing Israel in chapter 7. Um, Calvin says the most effective poison to lead men to ruin is to boast in themselves and their own wisdom and their will. Uh, uh, you know, when you read anecdotes about uh, Spurgeon or any of these older people, take, sometimes you take them with a grain of salt. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they sound like Spurgeon or they sound like some of these fellows unless something's written down by the author. Uh, but but uh, there's a story I read about Spurgeon where he came out of the pulpit and uh, a fella came up to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, that was the most, uh, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And Spurgeon's retort was, yeah, the devil just told me that a few minutes ago. <laughs> and so it sounds like Spurgeon. Uh, could very, not very well have happened, but it sounds like him. Uh, it's true to the point, you know, the point's well made, whether or not it's true. Um, he told his students uh, that they need to help as they were learning to be preachers. They need to help 
their people, the congregants, to help people look up to Jesus with both eyes, not just look at Jesus with one eye and uh, be careful of pride and self-sufficiency. Well, chapter 8, um, what I've done with the little thing up there, the little uh, chart, is what we have in chapter 8, the first half up to about verse 17, is the uh, directions and the preparation for taking AI. And then from 18 on, the taking of AI and the victory. And so there's kind of themes there. Sometimes some of these patterns from the Old Testament narratives and the Old Testament uh, are, are to be contrived a little bit just to kind of uh, get patterns going. But what, what I saw there is uh, the topic, the, the word coming from God in this the directions for this battle. In the first half, he gives them reassurance. Uh, he reassures them that they're going to have victory uh, in, the, in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 18, God directs the battle. Uh, in 18, actually, he tells Joshua when to begin the battle. Then the second topic there is the ambush. In verses 3 through 9, we see the, uh, how to accomplish the ambush. And then in verses 19 to 20, the execution of the instructions to accomplish for the ambush. Uh, Joshua and all of Israel are the topic of the next, uh, in verses 10 through 13. It's go up in preparation and then... Uh, in verses 21 through 23, now turn back uh, is the phrase that's used. Turn back from your retreat and strike Ai is where we find that. And then the city of Ai itself is the next topic where it's emptied as it's playing itself out like it did in chapter 7, and they just kind of assume that they're going to win. The battle is the same. There's more people but it, the, Israel is acting the same way. So they empty the city with an assumed victory, but in verses 24 through 27, they're destroyed by a shocking defeat. Uh, and that's the city of Ai, the, the, the two pictures we have of the city of Ai. And then verses 28 and 29, just kind of a summary. Oh, thank you. You didn't mind coming up here, did you? Thank you very much. Uh, and then they renew the covenant, the last six verses of uh, chapter 8, after the victory. So that's kind of a, the way we're going to go. We'll walk through it 1 to, 1 to 35, probably not tonight. Uh, Corey, it's next week that we'll have a visitor, right? Who? Taylor Walls, Taylor Walls from Ecuador. He'll be here both at 6 o'clock and at 7 o'clock to update us and uh, teach us something uh, next Wednesday. Okay, So we'll do our best to get as far as we can, but we'll probably not get but about maybe the preparation side of it. Maybe we'll go farther than that. But uh, chapter 8, first couple of verses, we'll just read the verses as we come to them in, in my outline. Uh, 
Chapter 8, verse 1, And the Lord said to Joshua, we didn't have that at all in chapter 7, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its livestock. You shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So don't fear, don't be dismayed. I think a corollary we see in Joshua a few times. Uh, Don't fear, don't be dismayed, only be strong and courageous. We saw that three times in chapter 1. We'll see it in chapter 10, I believe, again. But... uh, So there's this assurance coming from God that uh, don't you worry about a thing. Uh, This uh, don't fear and don't be dismayed. Moses preached that to the people in Deuteronomy. I got one, two, three times, I think. Um, But he says, I've given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, the city, and the land. And... uh, to fend off any hesitation because they just lost a battle going into AI. And the, the, the plan, all the fighting men, take all the fighting men with you. This, this is a phrase that typically in the Old Testament uh, identifies elite army folks, the special forces. He takes all these fighting men uh, but this time, not 3,000, we'll see it's 30,000, uh, 10 times more than they took last time. Similar to Jericho, the words, uh, in, due to Jericho, he says, uh, and you shall do to Ai as its king and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. So it's going to be a similar battle to Jericho. Only it's going to be quite different in how the battle is executed. The uh, devotion, the the devotion to destruction that is total at Jericho is God relents. He gives them the gifts of taking the spoil from from Ai. Uh, So it's different in that sense. No total destruction. And the method of attack is going to be completely different. They're actually going to have to fight. uh, uh, But it's going to be in a clandestine way, more so than in this visible marching around the city where the uh, army is all identified uh, immediately. So the Lord controls the battle. He controls the strategy. He is the one who directs the attack. He directs the outcome Even verse 18, look at verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. That marks the beginning of the battle. Uh, And we'll look at that when we get there. But uh, the Lord is directing everything in this battle so that they might know the surpassing 
power that belongs to God and not to them. Uh, and that's, of course, what Paul would say quite a few years later. But his help comes after the sin is dealt with, uh, after judgment, his judgment has been executed upon uh, the, his own people, upon Israel for their sin, and uh, he is in control. The Lord's hand is not so short <laughs> that he can't reach, or his ear so dull that he can't hear, but their sin made a separation uh, between them and their God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God doesn't move when, when we have troubles, right? And where'd you go, God? What happened? It's what the people of Israel said to him. Well, it's not that he can't reach and can't hear. It's because the, their sin in the camp had made a separation. Uh, and so they, ex, they, they remedied the situation. They followed uh, what God called them to do. And so without the power of God, uh, with the power of God, Jericho is taken. Without the power of God, the weakest enemies that they'll face can't be beaten. And that's how dependent we are on God, right? Moses knew it. Um, Exodus 33 God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. They're leaving Mount Sinai. No, don't, don't, don't lead us anywhere if you're not going to go with us, Lord. We, we are helpless and hopeless without you. That's a lesson for us, for us to learn. Uh, so, uh, then verse 3 now they're going to set the ambush. Here's the instructions about the ambush. and it, it says it in the past tense. So Joshua and all the fighting men rose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them, which is exactly what happened the first time. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say they are fleeing from us just as before, so we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So, well, let's just stop right there. Verse 4 has a behold... Verse 8 has a C, and it's both, both times it's the same word, so it's kind of a bracketed passage here with the, uh, getting their attention. Remember the word behold. It's, it, it comes to us and says kind of, wait, stop and pay attention here. C, he says in verse 4, behold, you shall lie in ambush. Here's the instructions. These 
special forces are deployed uh, and they're set in their place. Five, apparently there's some, it's hard to figure out the numbers. We know the, at least we 30,000 and we know 5,000. But is that 35,000 total? Is it 25,000 with Joshua and 5,000 in Ambush? It doesn't matter. The Lord is controlling the situation anyway. And it seems to me that 5,000 are put behind the city in between Ai and Bethel. We'll see according. And they're to lie in wait. And Joshua and 25,000 are in front of the city where they can see them eventually. Uh, But they all set this up. They set this up at night. So he says, behold, verse 4, you shall lie in ambush. Stealth is important. Uh, And then he says in verse 5, and I and all the people who are with me will approach the city from the front. So we got the uh, ambush in the back. We have 25,000 approaching the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we'll flee before them. So we're going to be scared of them. We're going to run off just as before. Uh, And when that happens, uh, when they come out, uh, uh, as a decoy, verse 6, look at verse 6. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say they are fleeing from us just as before, so we will flee before them. Mm. Then you go in the city, and I'll let you know when to do that. The Lord will give the city into your hand. As soon as you get into the city, take the city and burn it, uh, according to the word of God's. And then he says there in verse 8, see or behold, I have commanded you after he said you shall do so in accordance with the word of God. So the instructions are bracketed with this idea, behold, clear instruction that will lead them to victory. Um, I've always been, I've never done much with it. I've always been interested in how the magicians do their tricks. Uh, the, the movie The Prestige, have you seen the movie The Prestige? Where what, what the, the pattern of these magicians' tricks are, there's, there's a pledge, they call it a pledge, where uh, I get, he's got a dove, Right? And then uh, comes the turn of the trick where he makes the dove disappear. And then the prestige is when the dove comes back. So you got that process. You know, you set the, uh, set the pledge. You turn the situation. You do something that is marvelous, and then you do something that is even more marvelous by bringing it back. That's... That's how I kind of thought of this, where the pledge is or the presentation is 25,000 people approaching just like they did the last time. Uh, And then the turn or the first uh, turn of the situation is they start running when the king comes out. And then the prestige or the 
other turn of the situation the, uh, is the payoff is when they turn around as the ambush goes into the city, the 25,000 turn around, the ambush goes into the city, takes it, puts it on fire, and then they come out and they're caught between these two armies. Uh, so the presentation in verse 10, Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people of, to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai. Now they're camping uh, towards the Jordan River. Now it's north, uh, but it's toward the Jordan River, whereas it's on the west side of the city, really, where we'll, we'll see that where they're ambushes he took about verse 12 he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai west of Ai east of Bethel Bethel's kind of just straight west um, they stationed the forces the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city but Joshua spent that night in the valley. And then verse 14. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place towards the Arabah, down the Jordan River Valley, uh, toward the Arabah, to meet Israel in battle, but he did not know there was an ambush against him behind the city. So, the army stationed in front. They approach visibly. Uh, the king of Ai takes the bait. He comes out after them, uh, leads the army out of the city. Verse 9. So the stages said Joshua sent them out. Um, uh, and the process is working. He takes the bait, leads the army out of the city, and then the pretense, verse 15, and Joshua and all of Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness, which would be toward the east. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and as they pursued them, as they pursued Joshua, the city, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and, pers and pursued Israel. So they've taken the bait. Uh, the cities are emptied. Ai is now ready to be uh, there ripe for destruction. And then here comes the payoff for the capture, verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. It's almost not chronological. It's kind of telling the story, and then it comes back, and here's the beginning of the story. Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush 
rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city, captured it. They hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, they said, "Uh uh-oh, behold, we've been had. The smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. So they're caught in the vice, if you will, of the Israelite army. Uh, the 5,000 behind, the 25,000 in front, and then verse uh, 21, when when Joshua and all of Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai, And the others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side. And Israel struck them down till there was left none that survived or escaped. So not one soldier survived the battle on the Ai side. Uh, One person did survive. Verse 23, the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. So, everybody is done, or at least all the soldiers are dead. The city has been captured. The city has been burned. uh, And the king is with Joshua. And then the concluding of this Episode, or at least this uh, battle, when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. I'm just assuming that there were some, they didn't kill everybody, and they're, they're finishing off all in the city. Uh, That's my assumption. You may have a better explanation. But they've captured the city. They burned the city. Then the 5,000 who did that then go out and finish off the soldiers. Then they come back into the city, and there's some more to be killed so that all the people are killed. Verse 25, And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000 people. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. So Joshua's been holding the javelin up the whole battle. And then, now that they're all uh, dead, he draws back the javelin. Verse 27, only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So uh, there's, there's something to Joshua's javelin. 
similarities, another incident maybe that might be similar. Moses' hands, I remember the fighting, uh, uh, fighting the battle against the Amalekites at Rephidim. Uh, Moses, his hands are up, they win, his hands fall down, they lose. So the people propped his hands up. Uh, uh, kind of the the uh, bud, the the budding rod of Aaron before Pharaoh was used in that way also as an instrument to to demonstrate the power of God. Uh, in this way, uh, they see that God contributes more to the victory than their swords and their whatever else it is that they're using, uh, their shields. The, he's fighting for Israel, and he's the one to be glorified, and Joshua's javelin is uh, held up throughout the whole battle. They have no problem with the whole battle, and it demonstrates that the victorious power comes from God, not from them. And God is the one who deserves or is to be glorified. The devotion to destruction is only partial. Jericho, they were to kill everything and not take anything. The sad story here is that what did Achan take? Some, yeah, he didn't need to do that. God was going to provide everything they needed. And here in Ai, God gives them the spoils of war, livestock and whatever else was there that belonged to the people of Ai. Uh, So the devotion to destruction is only partial. And then verse 28, so Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as to this day. Another memorial. Remember we have a memorial in Gilgal. we have a memorial of, in Jericho to remember the victory in Jericho, uh, the, the, the uh, crossing the Jordan. Uh, there's a memorial uh, for God, that God split the river. Now here we have a memorial of the victory that they once lost. Now the city is in ruins they got one more order of business. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands there to this day. Another memorial. The king of Ai, uh, who has of course, rebelled against God, hanged from a tree, taken down at sunset. You know, that's really a law uh, of the Israelites for someone uh, uh, who has faced capital punishment, right? And, And it's not, they weren't killed by hanging. They were executed and then hung up as a picture, a deterrent, if you will, to to sin against sinning against the law of God, but it seems that that's sort of how we ought to look at this king. 
They took them down at sunset and made a monument uh, to the sin of rebellion against God. Uh, Cursed is anyone who hangs from a tree. They're not, um, uh, how do I want to say it? They're not cursed because they're hanging on a tree. They're hanging on a tree because they've been cursed by God for their rebellion against him. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, I'm going to read 21 22. Hang on to that. Go ahead. This is a dumb question, but this term, because we've seen it before, until this day, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Does that mean fraternity? Does that mean if we were to dig down deep enough, we find it? I mean, what what exactly is that supposed to look like? I don't take it to mean anything, but the author says it's still there. (laughs) <laughs> at the time it was written yeah yeah could, could we go find it well I, I one of the interesting things is uh the archaeology is not confirming where we have ai on all of our maps they're still working at it but we're not sure exactly where ai is so maybe if they get down there at, at where it is that is on our maps there was nothing there in this day. So there's, we're trying to find it. Maybe they'll find it eventually, you know. Uh, uh, but it just at the time of the writing, it's still there. Uh, and you could say, well, he, he wrote next week. Well, okay, but it was still there whenever he wrote. <laughs> we don't know how long it stayed there. But I'm sure nobody bothered with it. Remember, Jericho's... T- God says, Do, cursed is anyone who rebuilds the city. And that plays itself out eventually. Um, so they hang him on the tree. They take his body down at sunset. Uh, and they uh, raise a great heap of stones which stands until uh, that day. So um, probably should be viewed in light of the law, of Israel's law, not that AI, uh, that the king, just that the king was a rebelling against God, a serious sign for all the people of Canaan, uh, that, they, that he stands under God's curse and God's judgment. Uh, God commands this, these, these overt, brutal, situations to make sure that we might never um, that we might never uh, forget that God is serious about sin I mean that's, this is according to the word of God this is what we all deserve when we sin right and so the fact that he is merciful and gracious uh, by and large does not mean that he doesn't hate sin. And so he takes these situations to remind us. uh, So maybe we ought to be a little more, we shouldn't take sin quite so lightly. And that's God's point here. It's a deterrent. Um, He said God commands this at a time when, or else we might never fear sin. Does this impact you or us as it should or is it only something that happened 
3,000 years ago. This king hanging on the tree for having rebelled or sinned against God. And one of the commentators says, because of the hardness of our hearts, God has given another picture of his judgment, the king of the Jews hanging on a tree, having been become a curse for us on our behalf. Is that just something that happened 30, 30 A.D. or whenever? No. That's our redemption. Perhaps we shouldn't take sin so lightly. So the defeat of Ai is written in such a way to make us praise God, to have us praise God, to have Joshua praise God, and the people praise him. Uh, Oh, yeah, we're good. Verse 30. Now they're going to, in one sense, renew the covenant. Joshua uh, gathers the people. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Now, that's about 40 miles north. We know from the next chapter they won the Battle of Ai, and they go back to Gilgal, back down into the Jordan River Valley where they were camped, and then now they're going to go up to Mount Ebal, which is up at Shechem, uh, north about 40 miles. So at that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with the elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among this. So we're standing, verse 29, we're at the gate of Ai, a heap of ruin, and then all of a sudden, verse 30, it's kind of we're wished away, taken away to Shechem, Uh, after a series of narrations of the battles and the strategies and all of that, and now we're at a worship service where they are worshiping their God just as Moses had commanded them. Uh, uh, So Joshua has been telling the story of entering the promised land, and now we stop. Stop the war. 
and listen to the law of God. In fact, turn to Deuteronomy 11. We'll close there. Deuteronomy chapter 11. The last four verses of Deuteronomy 11. And so Moses remembers preaching to the people, preparing them. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessings on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the oak of Moray. For you are to cross over the Jordan to go into the possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I'm setting before you today. So Joshua took good notes when Moses preached the sermon and what they're doing here in, at the end of chapter 8 is fulfilling prophecy or fulfilling Moses' command to come to Mount Ebal and to Mount Gerizim uh, to praise God or thank God or worship God for bringing them into the promised land. So he's fulfilling Moses' command, uh, reading all the words of the law, all the word. That, uh, there are five times the word all is included. All the words of the law is uh, to be heeded uh, by all of the people, applicable to all the people, all of Israel, sojourners, were, and, and the sojourners were to be ruled by the word of God. His word is to shape our lives uh, completely. All of his word is to shape all of our lives. Uh, those living in the midst of God's people, giving obedience to the word, and all the it was all the people's priority. So witness of God's faithfulness as they hear at Mount Ebal, and uh, so Joshua now. The battle of the taking, the conquest, will continue on beginning in chapter 9. So we did make it all the way. Anything, any comments, any questions? Yes. What's that, Mount Evil? Mount Gerizim is barren. Mm-hmm. Significance of Shechem. Uh, where Abraham first, uh, where God told Abraham the co- about the covenant of the Lord of the land. Uh, he first received the promise in Genesis twelve. Uh, Jacob returned to Shechem after his exile from the land. Uh, in Genesis 33, when he met Esau. Uh, and now here in Joshua 8, Abraham's seed, Jacob's descendants are 
in the promised place, in Shechem, uh, experiencing the fulfillment of God's promise of giving them the land. See, I will give it to you. Behold, the Lord will give it into your hand. He's faithful. Promises may not happen when we expect them. But the delay, or if in our mind, time does not invalidate the promises of God. They will be fulfilled. Father, we thank you that we can depend upon that. Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us, fill us with your spirit. Lord, remind us with these stories, with these Drum, these, these battles that are just pictures of your continuing uh, uh, redemption purpose, the purposes that you have for us. Lord, help us not just to look at AI as a defeat of the bad guys, but, Father, to remember that you are the one who orchestrated the battle and who led Israel into the battle And you are the one who receives the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.